Thanks, man. Uh, like Bill said, my name is Jim, and we just want to say welcome to you, especially if you're new again. Uh, we love that you came to check out Ascent Church. Maybe somebody uh, brought you here, uh, and we just we see that as an honor, actually, that they would feel comfortable enough to trust us. Uh, it's kind of a big deal. You invite somebody to church. It can get weird if it's, you know, it can, right? And so we're... We're just really glad that you came here this morning and joined us. So um, what we do every week, if you're new to this, is we spend some time just with some food for thought. We're going to look in the Bible. We're going to talk about our relationship to God and how we got there. Uh, And we start, uh, we do that in what we call series. So we'll go for a few weeks on a certain topic. And today we are going to start a new series. And the series is called You, You. So, hey, everybody's going back to college. It's time for you, university, me, you, 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 right? We're going to learn about us. We're going to try to understand what is it about us and that we need to know so that we can better understand our relationship to God. Um, There's a guy, old, really old school, hundreds of years ago, a very famous theologian named John Calvin, who actually made a really interesting comment, one of his most famous books. He said this. He said, to know God, you have to know yourself. If you're going to understand who you are, you've got to understand, um, if you're going to understand who God is, you've got to understand you. You've got to tap into where did you get, you know, how did you get where you are now? And some of that might even be like, where were the first thoughts that you had about God? Stop, stop for a second and think. What was your first memory about God? that actually might shape you and shape how you see God in a way that you don't understand or that we don't realize. And and that's true for a lot of things. Your first thought about money, your first thought about relationships or family, your first thought about sex. There's there's so many things that um, your first thought might actually shape the way you have seen things and maybe you haven't ever stopped to really unpack that. It is certainly true about spiritual things. Our first thoughts about God probably shaped a little bit of how we see God and how we relate to him. And guys, let's be honest. Some of the thoughts we had initially were right, and maybe some of them were really not right, really wrong. And have we done the hard work to identify that, see what it is? Now, for pastors, this is different. Okay, Pastors, the good ones were only exposed to the most deep theological thinking when they were young. Um, While everybody else was reading their paper or online reading the news, we pastors started at a young age, we just were reading the scripture, right, all all day long. The good pastors have that depth and foundation that started with their very first thoughts. If you're looking for a church, be sure that you find a pastor that has that depth to them from the very beginning. And so I want to share with you mine. Um, Let me give you my first thoughts around spiritual things when I was eight years old. You are going to be blown away by the depth of this. Just get ready. This little two-minute clip, this was my first impression of who God was. Check it out. Oh, ain't that nice? The pretty dead boy 
my feathers back. Thank you, pretty cat. me at eight years old watching that and like honestly you guys I could still feel like being terrified like is this how it works especially that little scene where he's like you've been a bad pussycat like I'm just imagining me dying and God being like you've been a bad boy <laughs> and it it kind of like reinforced the rest of how I saw life work and so it, it was very easy to believe this. And it wasn't just through, I love Looney Tunes actually, but it wasn't just through Looney Tunes. All of life and all of like what we see on the news or media, or, I think it kind of reinforces this idea that really at the end of the day, our relationship with God is based on our behavioral performance. And if we don't perform well, then we're going to reap the consequences of that. And if we perform well, then we'll get the benefits. Isn't that a lot? That, that's just life, right? That's how life works. Uh, I, I put this ladder up here because I think it is a good way to think about how so much of life works. That it's really just, guys, it's just a ladder game. Think of the ladder game that we play. We play a ladder game at work. Hey, the better you do at work, blah, 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 you know, the further you go up the ladder, the further and better you do. We play a ladder game with money. We play a ladder game with some of our relationships. We play a ladder game over and over again with athletics. We play a ladder game with performance. We play a ladder game. And, and honestly, of course we do. That's just how the world works. And so when I see stuff like this and when we're exposed to this kind of stuff about who God is from the earliest of ages, why would we even stop to think that maybe God has a different way? We don't because everything in life is a ladder game. I remember thinking, when I saw that, I remember thinking, this reminds me a little bit of Santa Claus. So if I'm good and I climb the ladder 
and get up pretty high on the ladder, then I'm going to get a lot of presents. And if I don't, then maybe I'll get less presents. This whole God thing just seems like that, except maybe the stakes are a little bit higher. (laughs) And it got me thinking, and be honest with yourself for a second. Come on, have you ever thought this before? How good do I have to be? Have you ever wondered to yourself in the latter game with God, am I good enough? Which rung do I have to get to in order for that escalator up to be open rather than the escalator down? You ever wondered that? Of course we have. It's ingrained in us from the very beginning. Um, when I, the other thought that I have is like, when I was in high school, I, despite all this kind of initial thoughts about who God was, I decided that I wanted to be a Christian. I don't know that I necessarily knew what that meant. I decided I was going to follow God, and off I went. I remember one person, a friend of mine, saying to me, you know, Jim, I don't know that this Christian thing is going to work out for you. And I, really? Okay, why? And, and uh, she looked at me, and she said, well, you know, I think, like, you're supposed to be at least as good as, like, some of those people that you read about in the Bible, and that's definitely not going to work for you, you know. <laughs> Ouch, you know. And, but it reinforced this idea, the relationships we have, the people that we know, the families that we grow up in, the churches that we've been a part of, teach the latter game. Is that, is that real? You know what got really confusing for me was when I first started reading the Bible, and I started reading some of the stories and uh, the people, and you, you, you get into it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, this is amazing to hear about some of these. But what I noticed was some of the people, in fact, probably most or all of the people in the Bible have totally messed up lives. So how does it, where are they on the latter game? Um, I... I uh, I want us to look at somebody here for a moment, because these next few weeks, we're going to look at a guy named David, King David from the Bible. A lot of you guys heard of him, know about him, probably most because of David and Goliath. But I want us to do a little overview of him, because we're going to dive into all the kind of triumphs and all the scandals and everything else about his life over these next few weeks during this series. And so I want you to see him a little bit, but I want to give you his resume and, and, and lay it out for you. And while I do this... I actually want you to think, be a little judgmental. Where would you put David on the ladder? Which rung does David get on based on his resume that I'm going to show you? Okay, so here's David's resume. Uh, by the way, I was tempted to show you the entire statue of David, but I decided <laughs> not to. Um, David is a man after God's own heart. You see that in the Old Testament? He, that's, what an amazing thing to say about somebody. That's how he's described, a man after God's own heart. Can you imagine being called a man or a woman after God's own heart? He must have done something incredible. And you see that in the Old Testament. You see him referenced that way in the New Testament too. He's a man after God's own heart. That must mean he's at the top of the rung, right? Look at at some of the things that David did. So there's a book in the Bible called 1 Samuel. It's one of these great Old Testament historical books. It talks about all the kings. David's a huge part of that, one of the kings of Israel, probably the the best king of Israel, the highest point. He has this incredible trust in God and bravery. This is the David and Goliath story that you read about in 1 Samuel 17. Amazing to see. I mean, I don't have an ounce of that compared to what you see in that story of him 
trusting God against odds that are just so far beyond him, and yet he does anyway, and he goes for it, right? So that's, that's good stuff for the ladder. We're going to put him high up the ladder, at least to start for that. Look what happens uh, as we go on in the next chapter. Amazing friend. David had this incredible friendship with a guy named Jonathan that really defines friendship in so many ways. It's been used over and over again. We're going to look at that at some point during this series as well. Understand the incredible nature of that friendship that he had with Jonathan. The next uh, few chapters later when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has this concern where he is actually more concerned about what does God need than himself. How many people can you say that about? Man, I can't say that about myself, can I? David clearly had that, just this incredible story that gets unpacked in 2 Samuel 7. You go, gosh, he actually wants to see God's kingdom happen more than even his own kingdom. So if we were going to just stop right there, where would you put David on the ladder? We'd put him way up, wouldn't we? High on the list. Look what happens as the story starts to turn in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel 11, David steals another man's wife. One night he goes out on the roof of his palace. He's looking out over his kingdom, and he sees a woman bathing named Bathsheba. And he, because this is what kings could do, he says to his servants, I want her. And there she comes, and she, he sleeps with her. And just steals away Bathsheba from her husband, Uriah. You know what makes it even worse? Guess where Uriah was? Uriah was off in a war fighting for the king, fighting for David. So David's like sitting in his posh palace stealing Uriah's wife while Uriah is out fighting his battles. How low is that? So it gets worse, right? In that chapter, in the very next chapter, what we see is David actually has Uriah killed. David sends a little word to the front lines of the fight to the commander, the person that was over Uriah, and says to the commander, look, when the fighting gets its most fierce, what I want you to do is I want you to send Uriah to the front, I want you to have a little signal, blow a whistle, do whatever it is, and then everybody else is going to pull back. And the only person who doesn't know the signal is Uriah. He's going to be left in the front. And, of course, he gets killed. Because David, our man after God's heart, is an adulterer and a murderer. Where's that put him on the scale? You go a few chapters later, and this is one of the most horrific, actually the next chapter, 13, one of the most horrific things I think you'll read in all the Bible, I don't even want to get into it all, but let's just suffice to say something terrible happens to one of his kids, and David just doesn't intervene. He doesn't do a thing. He just sits back and he watches it happen. He's an adulterer, he's a murderer, he's an awful parent on top of it all. What do you what do you do with that? How is that somebody that the Bible refers to as a man after God's own heart? Where do we put him on the ladder? Can we just do it? Let's just be like super judgmental for a second. All right? When, when's the last time your pastor told you, yeah, just be judgmental. This is going to be great. Like, let's just be judgmental together. Um, we're going to do that right now. Let's be super judgmental together. Where would we put David? Give me... 
act like you're an ancient Roman emperor. Give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down, and I'll try to figure out where to put him. Where do you want him? Up or down? Middle? Guys, a guy who kills somebody, is that really the median that we're looking for out of humanity? <laughs> Come on. No. We're going to put I'm going to put him right here. We're going to put him down. Here, he's got some redeeming qualities. You're right there, bud. Okay. Is that good enough? Is that where we need to be? How does that work? Let's, um, let's keep the judgmental vibe going. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some more people. We're, gonna, we're just going to start placing people on the ladder. This will be really fun. I'm going to need your help, though, okay? Ready? Here's the next one. What are we going to do with Mother Teresa? Okay, give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Your thumb better be up. All right, we're going way up the ladder for Mother Teresa. Can you get any better? I mean, I, guys, she like lived in the slums in India for years, caring for the poorest of the poor, the sick, like exposing herself to anything. I mean, amazing. Yes, Mother Teresa goes at the very top. I'm going to put her up here. Excuse me, David. Now, how close do you have to get to Mother Teresa to get in? Right? We've defined one pole. Am I good enough? I'm terrified by this. Okay. Maybe this will help a little bit. What do you do with this one? Okay. Where are we going to put it? Okay. Can I pick up the ladder and put it underneath the ladder? We're, we're going to go down. Um, our tech guy said that I can't really go below three rungs without you in the back seeing it. So we'll put him on the third rung. That's where he goes. So there's this like, okay, are the rest of us in between somewhere? And what's good enough? All right, let's keep going. Here's one for you. Ready? Be judgmental. Lady Di. I like her. What are we going to do with Lady Di? Give me an up or a down. From the median, give me an up or down. I see some ups. Down, some of you, up. All right, I'm going right here with Lady Di. We're going to put her right here. I like Lady Di. She did some great things. We're going to keep her right there. Now, here's a tough one. You ready? My wife. Okay. What are we going to do with my wife? Okay. Now, here's a, here's a little hint. She's nothing like me. If that helps you place her on the ladder. Okay. Show me thumbs up or thumbs down. Every single person in this room better have their thumbs up. Okay, I'm going to go up. She's as good as Lady Di? Yeah. Okay. What about Mother Teresa? All right, we're just going right here. Sorry, Mother. Karen Candy's going, oh, man, I just scored so big. Either that or I'm, like, sleeping on the couch for a week. I don't know. All right, I got two more. Judgmental. Bill. What are we doing with Bill? What do you all want to do with Bill? What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down with Bill? Thumbs up? Okay. Oh, I see some thumbs down. I saw that. What do you think? Thumbs up from the median. You know what I'm going to do? I, see, I, see, I sense a spirit in this room of unrest that we're unsure, and I, I have the solution. There's 12 rungs. Putting them right in the middle. 
Bill is going dead in the middle. And then the last one, where are we putting me? Where are we putting me, all right? I'm just going to answer this for you. We're just going to go one notch above Bill. Right here. Okay. Perfect spot for me. Yeah. You know, I, we put Bill in the middle and we laugh. Bill, Bill actually grew up in the Catholic Church. Did you know that historically the church reinforced this latter game? Historically, the church would say, you know what, um, your grandma died. Uh, we're not sure if they went to heaven or hell or not. And so um, they're kind of in this place called purgatory that's in the middle, and they're waiting. That's what purgatory is, where you sit and you wait. Now, fortunately, we as a church have a solution to that. If you pay us, we would be happy to pray on behalf of your relative and to see your relative actually ascend up the ladder game into heaven. So all you got to do is pray, and we'll build these awesome cathedrals all over Europe. That's how it worked. Can you believe that that happened? I've been thinking about that just going, we have got to do that. Uh, that is brilliant stuff. Bill, Bill just turned 50. The clock is ticking, you guys. We got a building campaign going. Give us your money, and I promise you, I will pay for Bill, and we'll get him up that ladder somewhere. Okay. No, the church, the family, everything we have seen in life tends to reinforce this idea of the ladder game. But is it true? Is it real? Is, is the middle good enough for Bill? How high, what, what rung do we have to get to? Guys, you know, we, um, we have this thought of the latter game and it just tends to not go away because it's embedded in who we are as people. And some of us may have had this thought when we were a kid. We still have this thought, so many of us today. But this was exactly the kind of thing that Jesus spoke against. But it is the kind of thing that keeps coming back into our hearts and into who we are. There was a study done at Baylor University. A huge study where they interviewed people nationwide about their thoughts around God. What was so crazy about that is 75%, get this, 75% of Americans view Christianity in light of some form of the latter game. That I've I've got to earn my way to God. 75% of Americans would hold on to that. Only 25% would say, you know what, God is actually really loving and cares for me. And God is present in my life. 25% of Americans would say that. You know what it is for men? A little over 10%. About one out of ten men that we spend our time, walk around in this room, you know, people we come into contact, one out of ten, ten percent of men think that God is loving and engaged with my life. Christian Smith's a sociologist at Notre Dame who's trying to understand why young people sometimes leave their faith and what happens as they kind of grow up through high school and college and beyond. And he has wrote a, written a series of books on it and he has coined this phrase that I just find fascinating where he's saying there's a lot of reasons why young people leave the church, but one of the biggest, he says, and this is his phrase, he says, the church is viewed by young people as an elementary school of morality. Yeah, of course people leave the faith. 
I'm playing the ladder game, I play the ladder game in every other part of my life. Why would I want to be a part of a community where we play the behavior improvement ladder game together where I can just be shamed in front of other people? Guys, how many people do you think, think about this, how many people do you think believe they have rejected Christianity but have actually rejected the ladder game? And maybe don't fully grasp what's, what's the real story behind our faith. If you hear anything today, I hope you'll hear this. This is, this is what it all comes down to. When you ask the question, does God play the ladder game or not, here's what I hope you hear. When God looks at you, no matter how many times you've been to church lately, no matter how many little old ladies you've walked across the street or good deeds you've done or money that you've given away, when God looks at you, he does not see a ladder. When God looks at you, he sees a cross. Guys, he sees the fact that he sent his son to earth to die on a cross so that everything that's on on this ladder, all the stuff that we've done, David, Bill, me, everyone, Mother Teresa, that Jesus died for every single person on this ladder. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. You know, Romans says it this way, Romans 5 says, that while we were still sinners, while we still were living in the muck of this ladder, while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that he's got for us. And yet, man, our human nature wants to make it the ladder game. No matter how many times we've heard this message, When we leave this room, we often default right back to the very thing that we're most familiar with. My performance is all that matters. In the end, I can't actually understand grace because I haven't haven't received it from just about anything or anyone in my life. And yet God continues to just pound away at us saying, I love you, I love you, I love you this much. Paul was a guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he would go into places and regions and cities, and he would talk about this grace of Jesus, and he he had to preach it, and he would stay for a year, and he kept going and going on this message, and people would finally get it, and that's why what you read in the Bible actually got called the good news. When you hear the word gospel, it was good news, because it's like, who wants to play this? When there's the great news that God loves us and died for us, that's the good news, and so he, they would take it and they would celebrate and they would love it. And then Paul would leave and guess what would happen? They'd go right back to the ladder game. Man, Paul did this once in a place called Galatia. He goes in, they take it, they're excited, he leaves. And then he ends up writing them a letter because they've turned right back to this game. Here's what he says in Galatians 1. I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way. This This is a different way. This is not Christianity. This is a different way. And Paul is just flat out calling it out. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. It's moralism. It's behaviorism. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. 
Okay, so there's a, a saying um, from a pastor in New York who's recently retired. I love reading his stuff. His name's Tim Keller. And he sums this question up so clearly. He says, is it basically really about what I must do or is it basically about what he, what Jesus has done? Man, you can live your life with the latter game and you're living a transaction. All of life is a transaction. Why not make God a transaction too? You know, what I put in, I get out. Harder I work, the more I get. You know, the input is the export. And we carry that right over to our relationship with God. And the sad part is God is not actually interested in a transaction with you. God is interested in being your dad and in you being his son or his daughter. Don't live a transaction. Live a relationship with him. Mother Teresa, why do you think she's on the top of that? Is it because she felt like she had to earn her way up to the top and so she had to get her, like, you know, God's acceptance and so I'm going to count how many people that I sleep in the slums with so that I can make my way to the top of the ladder? No, she realized she was a daughter of the king and it drove her to love other people. Do you see the difference? There's a massive motivation difference. And people that play the ladder game almost always fall away. If, if you play the ladder game, don't be surprised if down the road you just get tired and you quit. But when you've got a relationship and it's not a transaction, man, there is nothing that would ever come between you and your dad who loves you. No chance. Paul, when he keeps going makes this incredible comment in Galatians 2, and he's continuing to talk about this idea. He says, look, I don't set aside the grace of God, the free gift of God. That's what that word grace means. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, what in the world did Christ come to earth and die for anyway then? It was nothing. If the latter game's the way to get there, why is Jesus hanging on a cross, dying that brutal death? No, he wouldn't do that. He does that for his son and daughter, not for like his little slaves and workers. That's how he sees you. Guys, are you living a ladder game? Or are you living a relationship? I want to end by circling back because I think there is actually something about David that makes him a man after God's own heart, that makes him remarkable. And, and it's not like, you know, the good stuff he did, because we we've got him pegged already. We've landed him down here. But there is one thing that he does that I think makes him a man after God's own heart. Here's the good news. It wasn't about his genetics. It wasn't about his good looks. It wasn't about something that was inherently in him that none of us couldn't have. The thing about David that made him a man after God's own heart is true or potentially true about every single person in this room, no matter what your giftedness is or anything else. What David did was he chose and made the decision to turn. David said, I've lived a life. I've done these things. God, I am deciding to turn my life and walk that direction toward you instead. That is what makes a human being somebody after God's heart. 
And that is something that every single person in this room can do. When David did his thing with Bathsheba and Uriah, he was confronted by a friend, a prophet named Nathan, who came to him and told him a story that convicted him to the core, and he realized what he'd done. And he wrote some incredible words. Let me show you Psalm 51. It says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit, right? Change me. Change me, God, to sustain me. Amazing words. That's what makes him a man after God's own heart. You know, actually, these words were written to be sung. And I want you to hear what that might have sound like right now. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit. humble enough to do that. You know, as much grief as I'd give to the historic church about Bill and Purgatory, um, there's something beautiful about the historic church that we've lost. And I think that's confession. We've lost that sense of daily saying to God, God, this is where I've blown it. This is where I've gone my own way. Or maybe it's God, this is the game I'm playing, and actually by me playing this game, I have made your son's death on the cross meaningless. There's a confession that he makes, and he decides to turn and go the other way. What if we did that? What if we recaptured that? What if we spent a moment and just said, God, I want to talk to you, and, and I want to turn and go the other way? What I want to do right now is, for those of you, maybe you just join us and this is your first time back or whatever, long time or what, you know, I don't know what your story is. Maybe, maybe when Becky sings this again, you just sit and listen and enjoy the moment. But maybe God's knocking on the door with you, saying, I want you. I want a relationship with you. And it starts with turning. So she sings this again. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you just want to spend a moment. Just hear this and have a conversation with God where we turn back to Him.